Grace, we see it. We see it in history. I trust we see it in our lives. Let's talk about that. But I want to ask you a question as we lead into that. If you had to guess, who are the main people talked about in the New Testament? I bet you for many, if not all of you, it would be an easy answer. Jesus, for sure. But also Paul. And I guess if you're paying attention at all today, you would know that at least as a guess, he might be that second one. As a matter of fact, we're in the book of Acts. In a little bit over half of that book, of the Acts of the Apostles, is about that apostle whom we know as St. Paul. And it was that St. Paul who wrote about half of the New Testament, writing letters to Christian churches across the then-known world. And it was Saul, then Paul, who considered himself an apostle. You know the 12, but he considered himself number 13, a separate but important apostle set apart by Jesus. He called himself the least of all the apostles and even referred to his birth as one, a birth in Christ as one abnormally born. A spiritual miscarriage is what he identified himself as. And it was this man who was probably the most educated among the 13 apostles, the closest associates of Jesus. So it seems to me, and likely to you, that a little bit of attention is due to this man, and an understanding and a connection with our own life is certainly appropriate. But, well, let's start with this. As you think about that man, what picture comes to your mind? Is it a picture similar to what you see in front of you? I don't know. Probably something like that, or maybe with a bit of a Near Eastern twist. But you know, those who described Paul more close to his day and age, well, this is how they described him, a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs, bow-legged, with large eyes, eyebrows meeting, and a nose somewhat hooked, and a man who was full of friendliness. Well, that's another picture. And whichever you have of the man, he is the man of focus. But even more importantly than that is to know that this was a man who was very intelligent. And this was a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit as we heard about his conversion in the first reading from Acts chapter 9. He was a writer as well. And he wrote simply and straightforward to many of the churches in his day. But he also wrote some rather complex parts of letters, particularly the Romans, the letter to the Roman Christians, that were Pharisee in terms of his background, but in terms of his laying out the points of God in that letter. He was a thoughtful man. He was a good speaker, and he was persuasive, although, at least on one occasion, he claimed that he wasn't so persuasive and that he wasn't a good speaker. But it certainly is true that he was an intense man. If you know it from what you knew previously or you heard about it in today's readings, it's easy to agree that he was intense. 
his background is important too as we come to grips with the man. And he wrote about it probably uh, best for us to understand it in his own words. He said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priests and all the council themselves can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Is that an intense man or not? He is, to be sure. But then, then came a Jesus moment. At least that's what I would call it. It started as he was present at the stoning, the killing of the man named Stephen, who was one of the early ones chosen to serve those among them, the widows who were in need. Stephen spoke of his faith, and he died for his faith. While this man, Saul, stood there watching, watching the stoning and watching the clothes, the coats of those who were throwing the stones. But then, not long afterwards, this Jesus moment dawned on him like nothing before. He was on the road to Damascus. He was struck, struck by the light, struck by the light of Jesus that brought him to his knees and blinded him. The light of Christ took away his sight, and in due time he was taken. He was taken to a man named Ananias. Three times, by the way, the Bible talks about this experience. Once from Luke's pen, Acts chapter 9, and two times St. Paul tells it to people in his own company. But the point, he was blinded by Jesus so that he could see. Blind so that he could see. Can you think of a hymn that talks about that? I can't help but think of Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind. But now I see, too. And I can't help but think of another hymn, Chief of Sinners, that Paul identified himself as as well. Until this moment, this Jesus moment that he had. Even if you don't think you had a moment like this, you have in one way or another. I don't know your individual story, but you may have had a Damascus Road experience similar to Paul. Maybe not struck down blind on a road, but a come-to-Jesus moment where, startled, things turned around, you turned around by the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing Jesus into your life. It has happened, not only to Saul, but it's happened to many people, and you may be one of those. Me? Not. Not me. But known or unknown, recognized or recognized, or later begun to being able to look back and identify it, it's happened. And if it hasn't happened in that dramatic kind of way, it's happened nonetheless. It's happened through water. 
and the Word, connected to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. St. Paul could write of all of us, in fact, he said, everybody, three different letters, he said, blind, we are dead and enemies of God. And it's interesting that he chose those three words, not only because of their truth, but because he was blind before he saw. He was dead in his sins, and he was, in fact, an enemy of God, persecuting Christians, taking them and punishing them, rounding them up, and handing them over to authorities. That is who we were. But we experienced a Jesus moment in the water and at the Word, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that made that water more than what it just was, water. It connected us to the very power of God. Even if you don't remember it, it's true. For me, three days old. I have no memory of that at all, except I've been told, and I believe it happened, and I've come to appreciate it. And maybe that's your story. Maybe that's your experience. Whatever you have been connected to God and his grace through Jesus Christ. Damascus Road experience or one perhaps not as dramatic, but equally important through water and the word. By the way, Paul, you heard, was also baptized as he experienced part of this Damascus Road experience. And it was that same Paul who wrote what happened, as we heard read in Philippians. He looked at his past and he said, it's garbage. I can put it all behind me. I consider it nothing. I consider it as garbage. But you know, you know what the, the word literally is? It's dung, D-U-N-G. You may not use that word very often, but you know what it is. Horse dung. Do I have to say it more baldly than that? That's what he considered his past. That's what he considered to be who he was. But he appreciated through that experience whom he became by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I, you and I can say the same thing, I hope and trust and pray, because we've been given new life, a life that goes beyond, you know, just existing, walking and living and eating and doing whatever else we do in this life, we've been given new life. Jesus said, we believe, I've come to give you life in all of its fullness. Which means we can live, we can breathe, we can walk, we can work and all the rest, but we haven't got the full picture. We haven't got the full gift of life until Jesus is part of that life as we are connected to him connected to receive that full life, which opens up something new. It opened up for St. Paul, now leaving the name Saul behind, a vision, a mission. And by the way, you know when a name changes in the Bible, destiny changes. What he was is gone. What he aimed for is in the past. But as Paul, he got a new vision, a new mission. And it was clear as day to him. This change of name and mission and vision, it happened for Abram, Old Testament. We don't call him that anymore, do we? He's, his name was changed to Abraham, the father of many nations, through whom God blessed the world. 
It also happened for Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, from whom came the people of God, the Old Testament Israelites. And even among the 12, Jesus met Cephas, and he changed his name to Peter, the rock, the rock of his faith upon which he would build the church. For you and for me, we've been called children of God, and that in the fullest sense. You know, you can be called a child of God in at least a couple of different ways. We're all children of God by virtue of our birth, because life comes from God. It is something that we all have received as we live and move and breathe. But life in all of its fullness gives us a deeper significance, a deeper realization as child and children of God. Fully his children, our mission changes and so our vision. For Paul, God turned him around, not only in faith, but as a Pharisee, he was turned to Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Irony of ironies, at least the second one, where he was called to go to those outside of Israel, outside the Jewish faith. Our mission, our vision is fundamental as well as fundamental as his. It's important to remember and to recognize. Do you remember Jesus' last words before he left earth? He looked at those 12 and he spoke to us today and he said, go and make disciples. Make followers of me as you speak about me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. Baptize, teach. That's the big picture of the Christian mission. Individually, as part of that big mission, you and I, as those in Acts chapter 1, were called to be his witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Get the picture? Where we are, and move outwardly. Where we are, we're called to be witnesses. We don't have to teach as a professor. We don't have to teach as one who knows everything about the Bible or pretends to. We can. We're called to speak about what God has done in our lives. That's what a witness is and does. In the courtroom, that witness, she can only talk about what she's seen, what she has experienced. That's the limitation, but that's the joy that we have as witnesses to talk about what we do know what we have experienced, whether it's a Damascus Road experience or whether it is the result in what has followed by being baptized into Christ. Paul's spiritual growth began with Ananias. As he, as a blind man, was led to Ananias, he was taught by that disciple, that follower of Jesus. And the scales fell from his eyes and the new world of Jesus began to open up for him. You heard a few moments ago how he spent three years, eventually went to the disciples, all of which was part of the discipleship growing process, to be sure. And part of that growing process for him was what you remember we've read about the thorn in his flesh. The thorn in the flesh. There's a picture. And you know what that was? Nobody's quite sure, but there have been guesses. Some have guessed epilepsy as his malady. 
Some have guessed cancer is what his thorn in the flesh was. And others, and I would join others in saying it was a problem with his eyes. Maybe going back to that Damascus road. Maybe also being witnessed as he wrote to the Galatians and perhaps dictated the letter, but at the end he said, see with what large letters I'm writing so you know it's me. Large letters perhaps because of his eyes. A part of his spiritual growth where God said, no, no, the thorn in the flesh is going to remain so you remain in my grace, so you depend upon my grace. Ours, our unfolding of spiritual growth is to feed on the word. That's one image. We are a new creation, another scriptural image. We've been transformed. We are being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. God's at work in you and in me, remaking us to be more what he intended us, to be like his son more and more. And it was Paul who again and again wrote in the letter to the Christians, put off the old nature and put on the new nature. And with that image, he was referring them to their baptism. Because in those days, the custom was go to the water and before you go in, take off your present clothing, your old clothing, outer clothing, go and be baptized, come back and we'll give you, and they did, new clothing, even white clothing. They put off the old nature symbolically and took on the new nature. And that's what Martin Luther said is our opportunity each and every day. Because we're in process, because we still struggle as God works in us to put off the old nature, the sin, to be renewed by the Holy Spirit in the new life we've been given. It's a process. And sometimes it's a slow one, growing little by little, a seed to a bigger and bigger and bigger plant that's finally going to come to full bloom in eternity. But along the way, it's a process. And it's a process with a cost. A cost. It cost God something, you see, this grace, as he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. It cost Jesus something as he came to live in this world rather than stay with his Father in heaven. It cost Jesus his life. And what it cost him, he gave to us freely. You see, that's what grace is. It's not that grace doesn't have a cost. Something free always has a cost. It just depends who pays for it. God's grace was paid for by Jesus. His unending love, his all-sufficient love is ours. Grace, because Jesus paid the price for us. And we too will have a cost, even as St. Paul had a cost. And you know what that cost is? Well, he described it in some very interesting terms to his, in his second letter to the Corinthians. He wrote, I've worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. 
I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone often without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul paid a price, a price of following Jesus, just like Jesus called you and me and all who would follow to take up our cross and to follow him, to be like him in that, not to earn God's grace, but to be a part of it, to unfold in our lives for those around us. That cost is paid each and every day. We see it through the lens of faith with which we live. That's life. That's the privilege we have for this full life in Jesus Christ. The story of Paul. It's a great story. It's a story of change and of mission. The story of Paul is a story about being knocked knocked down by Jesus, our Savior, and being picked up to new life in one way or another. The story of Paul is about doing great things for Jesus Christ. And the story and the life about Paul is what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us as Jesus has taken hold and redirected us. The story of Paul is our story. It's about you. It's about me. Amen. And the God whose grace has been shown once and again and again may be shown to you each and every day. Amen.